take a look at our scripture, which can be found on the inside of your bulletin. This is Jesus and his feeding of the 5,000. This is Luke 9, 10-17. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you've spent your time glued to the internet or TV watching approaching Hurricane Joachim and wondering what sort of dance he is doing. Uh, It seems that we have missed uh, the critical aspect of the storm from the standpoint of it coming closer to the East Coast. Uh, But the wind and the rains are devastating, Uh, particularly in South Carolina. We need to be praying for Charleston and that whole area there, uh, as well as uh, portions of North Carolina. And we're going to get some flooding today. But uh, so far, no lives have been lost, only property. And so we're grateful for that. You know, sometimes it's uh, best to have a sense of humor in all of these things. So I was scouring the Internet and came across this from a professor, I believe, at East Carolina University. Maybe you've read your own hurricane guide that was prepared for you. Well, here's one from this uh, professor. He's basically saying, preparing for that hurricane, and he's bringing out some critical points. Uh, He says, you're watching TV and see a meteorologist pointing to some hurricane out there in the Atlantic Ocean and making two basic meteorological points. Number one, there is no need to panic. Number two, we could all be killed. Yes, hurricane season is an exciting time to be in eastern North Carolina. If you're new to the area, you're probably wondering what you need to do to prepare for a hurricane. Based on my experiences, this simple three-step hurricane preparedness plan will take care of it. Number one, buy enough food and bottled water to last your family for at least three days. Number two, put these supplies into your car. Number three, drive to Nebraska and remain there until Halloween. Unfortunately, statistics show that most people will not follow this sensible plan. Most people will foolishly stay here in eastern North Carolina. So, if you're going to stay, here's what you have to do to make your home safe. Number one, if you own a home, you must have hurricane insurance. Fortunately, this insurance is cheap and easy to get as long as your home meets two important criteria. Number one, it is reasonably well built and it is located in Nebraska. Shutters. Your home, uh, your house should have hurricane shutters on all windows and all doors. And it's a major advantage on all toilets. There are several types of shutters with advantages and disadvantages. Plywood shutters. The advantage is that because you make them yourself, they're cheap. The disadvantage is that because you make them yourself, they will fall off. 
sheet metal shutters. The advantage is that these work well once you get them all up. The disadvantage is that once you get them all up, your hands will be useless bleeding stumps and it will be December. Roll down shutters. The advantages are that they are very easy to use and will definitely protect your house. The disadvantage is that you will have to sell your house to pay for them. And finally, hurricane-proof windows. These are the newest wrinkle in hurricane protection. They look like ordinary windows, but they can withstand hurricane winds. You can be sure of this because the salesman says so. He lives in Nebraska. Finally, as the hurricane approaches, check your yard for movable objects like barbecue grills, planters, and patio furniture, your mother-in-law, etc. You should, as a precaution, throw these items into your swimming pool. If you don't have a swimming pool, you should have one built immediately. Otherwise, the hurricane winds will turn these objects into deadly missiles, etc., etc. Dr. Carl Winch from East Carolina University, he's being fired about right now. Thanks, Carl. I want to talk to you about being protected. I want to talk to you about being well-fed and taken care of. Because as we all know, if you've gone to the local Kroger, there's nothing on the shelves. In the space of disaster, the food is all gone missing. This is a story in the scriptures here about provision, about a large group of hungry people in a situation where they're wondering where their next meal is going to come from. Jesus, uh, unlike the grocery store, never runs out. And he does a miracle and these 5,000 people are fed. But Jesus does something very interesting in this passage. He not only feeds the people, but first he challenges the disciples as they bring up the question. He turns to them and says, you feed them. And they look at their meager stores and they ask the question, how can you ask us to do such a thing? And then once Jesus produces the food, rather than giving it directly to the people, he gives it to the disciples who hand it out basket by basket as it goes and feeds the multitude. Let me suggest to you, that was a nice, um, sorry to hear this thing's a little bit loose. Let me suggest to you that this passage is not simply about Jesus feeding 5,000. It's about the role that Jesus wants to play. Jesus wants us to play in feeding a multitude. Like the disciples, we are not simply spectators in this plan that Jesus has to change the world. Rather, we are the very instruments that Jesus is using to change the world. So what are we to do in the place of, uh, much like the disciples, when we look around our world and we are overwhelmed? I don't know about you, but as a minister, I can look out upon the needs in the world and it can be easy to just pull down my hurricane shutters sometimes and say, it's too crazy out there. I'm just going to sort of wait this one out. How are we able to give the food that people really need? And of course, I'm talking about more than simply physical f food. Very, very, very few people starve in this country. I'm talking about the food of the heart. What Jesus is communicating to us is simply this. The one thing that each one of us who are Christians has to give is the one thing that everyone needs. Jesus is a living gift. And so to give Him is to give life. I see in this passage Jesus is advocating to us to give Him by doing three things. Number one, we have to share Him by caring. To share Him by caring in the first place. 
Number two, we have to share Him by giving. And then finally, number three, we have to share Him by sharing. What that means? Wait and see. Well, let's begin. We need to share Him by caring. Look at verse 10 here at the beginning, that the apostles return. If you remember, Jesus has sent them out. And He's given them authority to preach His message and also to heal diseases. And so the disciples have gone off. It appears that this has been... This wasn't just a day-long thing. They were actually engaged in a task that took a while. And they have come back and they are reporting to Jesus what has happened. And they're exhausted. In fact, in other Gospels, it's saying the people continually crowd around them. And so Jesus says to them, come away with me so we can get some rest. And so they withdraw by boat over to a remote section called Bethsaida. But the people hear about his location. How, I don't know. I think it was about 12 miles away. And they learned about it and they followed him. And so these exhausted disciples are there with Jesus. And lo and behold, here comes the crowd. And we see the sense of the size of the crowd as they come. And the disciples are exhausted. But Jesus welcomes them, it says. And spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Jesus never seemed to get tired of reaching out and embracing these people. Now certainly he grew tired physically, I'm not saying that. But rather, it says that he welcomed them. In another passage it says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. There was seemingly no limit to his compassion and care. Jesus once, as he was, uh, his disciples asked if he was hungry after helping the woman at the well, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so Jesus is continuing to pour out and pour out. And he's doing the things that he had given the disciples the task to do. So the disciples are most likely just standing by, just resting, just watching. And it's getting later and later and Jesus has healed all of these people and nobody is going away. And they say late in the afternoon the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He's saying these disciples, you have to send them. In fact, he says, uh, the disciples say in a different passage, Send them, let, uh, send them away to the villages to buy bread. Well, the truth of the matter is, they're sending them away for a variety of reasons. The first is it's a desolate place. There's, there's no place for them to be fed. The disciples don't have enough. The disciples are tired. The disciples want Jesus to themselves. And so he says, send them away to go to the villages to buy bread. Well, the truth of the matter is bread was baked at night and it was sold in the morning. There's no bread anywhere to be had. There's no place for these people to be fed. The disciples are simply saying, this is too much, Jesus. We need to pass the buck. We need to look away. Because as we look at the needs of these people, it's a bottomless pit. You know the feeling, don't you? You look at what they need 
and you look at what, they ha- what you have and you turn away. And so they give the plea to Jesus, but Jesus turns it back on them and says, you give them something to eat. This was precisely what they did not want to hear. Jesus challenged them. In fact, he's testing them. And the disciples, you can hear in their voice the, uh, the protesting, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. In a different section, it says, where could we find enough money to buy food for all of this crowd? And so Jesus has them in what's called a catch-22. If you send them away, they're going to be hungry. Their needs are going to be felt there. But if we keep them here, they're going to be hungry. The only difference is we're going to have to watch them be hungry and groan and be upset and all of these things and we'd rather leave things the way they are. Jesus is testing these people because ultimately he's giving them a task they cannot fulfill because he wants his disciples to understand that they don't have what people need. Only he does. And they can't give what people need. Only he can. The point I'm trying to make is Jesus is showing them You don't have what they need, but I do. And so I want you to care. In the face of overwhelming need, I don't want you to look away. Because you have me, and in having me, you have what they need. I don't know if you have ever had an opportunity to go visit the tomb of the unknown soldier. I was able to go earlier this year. It's up in Arlington National Cemetery. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. A very somber and regal place. And the name of the, uh, the tomb is as it stands. It's a place to honor those who were killed in battle who have never made it back or have never been identified, their remains. They don't actually know where they rest. It started in World War I where they exhumed uh, several uh, bodies from cemeteries in France and they chose one of those. The others they gave a, a burial and some French cemeteries there. But one they brought back to Arlington National Cemetery and they built this beautiful marble tomb up on the uh, up on that hillside there that overlooks Washington DC they did the same thing and have done the same thing for World War II for Korea for Vietnam uh, as these unknown soldiers are, are buried there now I don't know if you've ever seen the guard but there is a, a, a beautiful and somber procession if you will of these guards that watch over the tomb and the reason they started was back a while ago there was this beautiful tomb but no one was watching over it and it was such a beautiful sight that people started picnicking there even picnicking on the top of the tomb because they could see this beautiful view and that was against the point of what they were trying to do so they stationed this guard it's soldiers of the US Army it's an extremely extremely high honor to serve uh, as one of the soldiers at the tomb in fact it's the second uh, uh, most difficult badge to get Uh, The first being an astronaut. A U.S. Army astronaut is the most difficult badge to get or training uh, to get. The second is to serve at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And if you watch it, every single part of it is, is choreographed. They walk 21 steps and then they turn and they walk back. 21 representing the 21 gun salute. They're sending honor to this person in how they dress. They wear no insignia as they walk because they want to represent and honor them as a fellow soldier. Um, 
the, the, the weapons they carry, everything. And in fact, uh, there's no joking at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And if you want to go on, Vim, on Vimeo or YouTube, you'll see every now and then when a youngster gets out of line and they don't realize uh, what they're doing and they will stop and those army officers will let them have it so they know that we are at the tomb of the unknown soldier. We're here to honor them. Who are these people? Nobody knows. Well, what difference does it really make? Sure matters to those army officers, doesn't it? Sure matters to the people who sent their children over who died in combat. It is the place to, war- uh, to honor those people. See, they guard those people in death. But you see, those that we see are not unknown. And those who we see are not at rest. The best they can do for those who have passed along is honor them, for they have gone to the ages. But those who are around us, we have what they need. Do we see the people in our lives with the same sort of honor that these soldiers see their fellow comrades? We are all the same, you know. Genetically speaking, we are brothers and sisters. Those who are out there in the world are our brothers and sisters. Jesus loved them and welcomed them. And he wants us to do the same. So the most important thing we can do is begin to share by caring. Looking in their eyes. Seeing their need. Understanding in the place of wherever they're at. Whether it's physical suffering. Whether they've lost someone in death. Whether they're experiencing relational pain whether they're experiencing the existential angst of who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What is this about? The answer in all of those situations, what they really need, they need comforting, they need love, but the thing they need most is Jesus Christ. He is the one thing that we have to give that is the one thing that everybody needs. So the only way that we can look out into the world of suffering and care is if we really believe that the one we have is the one who has the power to reach into any situation and any life and bring life. That's what Jesus is doing in this passage and that's what I'm doing with you. We share by caring and then we share by giving. My second point. Verse 14, it says there are about 5,000 men. Keep in mind that doesn't include women and children, so this is a much larger group than that. Have them sit down, and so they all sat down. And Jesus takes this five loaves and these two fish that we know were procured by the disciples from this child. And it says, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now keep in mind, the disciples have to be astounded as they're seeing this, right? I'm not exactly sure how this food is regenerating, but he starts giving it to these disciples and they go out to these specific groups of 50 people and they come back and lo and behold, Jesus gives them another load. And they go out 
and Jesus gives them another load. Now, there's no storehouse anywhere here, right? There's no pile or stockpile of food somewhere. It simply seems to be coming from Jesus. He comes, basket, he holds it, he gives it back and it's full. Can you imagine the astonishment? How long did it take to feed 5,000 people, by the way? Trip by trip by trip as all of the needs of the people are met. I don't think that the disciples really understood what was going on until Luke twenty-two nineteen, in the Last Supper where Jesus took the bread and it says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. The exact same four verbs, by the way, in the exact same order. Taking, giving thanks, broken, broken, and giving them to the disciples. The exact same thing. Exact same Greek. What is Jesus really communicating? That he can feed 5,000 people? Absolutely. But it's deeper than that. What Jesus is communicating to the disciples is I'm giving myself and myself gives life. The gift that we have to give, brothers and sisters, is a living gift. It's a person. It's come from Him to me through His Holy Spirit. And it comes from me to reside in you as you come to faith in Christ. It's a living message. Praise God that Jesus didn't simply give us righteousness, holiness, goodness, a message about how to live, a message of how to be saved. He gave us Himself. And with Himself, we get everything. What people really need is a living Savior. The theologian Matthew Henry says, ministers, and he's speaking of all of us as ministers, can never fill people's hearts unless Christ fills their hands. In other words, even faithful ministers of the gospel have nothing to offer you unless Christ puts it in their hands because Christ is what you need. People don't need anything that we can conjure up. All we can offer is what Christ has given us to offer them. Himself, the gospel, and all His benefits. When you have Christ, you have the presence of God. For did not the Lord say to his believers, I will be with you always to the end of the age? When someone has Christ, they're reconciled to God. For to those who believed him, who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. To have Christ is to have all of his resources and all of his care. Did not Jesus say, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. For is life not more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Is Jesus uh, dismissing our responsibility to feed our brother? To care for our brother? Absolutely not. Does not in the book of James, he says, if you see someone in need... 
and you go and say to them, keep warm, be well fed, but do nothing for them. Have you really loved your brother? Faith with works. But every single one of these 5,000 people are going to be hungry again. But he who has Christ will never hunger or ever thirst. And so, my friends, as Jesus has told the disciples, he's told us, we are to be feeders, to set him before the people. But, Carlos, the disciples had authority. He gave them authority. Did not Jesus say, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me? Therefore, go and make disciples of all people. But they had the power to heal disease. This was before the Spirit came. This was before the Scriptures were put down. They were the Bible. Now the power is within the Scriptures themselves. The Word of God is living and active. The Word speaks and people move from death to life. The power is in the Gospel message. You know, in church it's easy to come up with big plans to do great works new programs and projects. But at the end of the day, the way we give life is through touching life with life. I want to give you this opportunity to gaze upon me in splendor because I am a one of a kind. Did you know that? Some of you are like, thank God, one of a kind. Why am I one of a kind? Well, I'm the product of two different lives, right? My mother and my father who came together and gave a deposit of life to me. Their DNA, so to speak. And God has made it in such a way that when those two lives combined, it created a new life. I'm different than my parents. I am unique. I share some of their traits to be sure. But there is no one like me. They gave me life. And because of that, I am alive. First Peter says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But how will they hear? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching the message to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I don't know your particular situation. I don't know if you live in a desolate place like Pungo or in a very, very crowded town center area. I don't know if you're surrounded by 5,000 people or maybe just a couple of apartment mates. All I know is that God has put you in a place to give something that people desperately need. Life itself. And here's the beauty. You know, Jesus Christ never force-fed himself on anyone, did he? Have the people sit down. And those who chose to sat, sit, sat. Those who didn't went away. These groups of 50. Isn't that a little bit kind of like churches in some ways? 
100, 200, 500, 50, all around feeding centers. And I want to suggest to you that the situation in which you find yourself right now, where you work and live and play, is an opportunity for you to go like one beggar to another saying, I know where the bread is. The one thing that you have to give is the one thing everybody needs. Jesus is a living gift. So to give him is to give life. We share by first caring. We share by giving. And then we share by sharing. Verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The Greek, by the way, these aren't the small ones. I don't know what this lunch came in. These are the big ones. I don't know where they came from. They just happened to be there. But what do you think life was like after the feeding for the crowds? Everybody sort of kicked back, right? Unhooked the tunic or the toga or whatever. Man, that was amazing. It says they were satisfied. What was life like for the disciples afterwards with the crowds? Enjoying the bountiful feast. I think it was a time of sharing. A time of celebration. A time maybe of just wondering at the greatness of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. There's a beauty of when believers come together and enjoy the goodness of the Lord. But once you have shared in the gospel, even when someone has to go away, you've given them a gift that never stops because it's a living gift. I'm, uh, I don't see the Jordans with us today and I'm very happy for them and yet sad for us. Uh, Dan has been appointed the camp manager of Highbridge uh, uh, State Park in Farmville, Virginia. And as you know, he works for the Park Service of Kiptopeak and he will be there for our men's retreat. And that that is still going on. But he is, with his children, going to take that new position. But our connection with Dan is powerful because our life is with the same life that he shares is the same life as we have. There is another person I want to tell you about. His name is Jeff Stables. He's a person that I had the privilege to share Jesus Christ with a long time ago when I was a young life leader. Jeff is in Scotland. Uh, when Jeff was 17, or maybe 16, he was just some punk kid at Fort Defiance High School. And I was just some punk young adult who had met the Lord. And we connected with one another. I shared Christ with him. He came to faith. It took a while to stick, actually. I had to kick him out of my small group. Took him to Young Life Saranac camp. Had to send him home for some illicit activities. But the seed of the gospel went into Jeff's heart. And I left to move on to my next assignment. But that seed grew. And Jeff married a woman who loved Christ. And they had children who loved Christ. And Jeff took a position with Young Life in Scotland to share the gospel with people over there in the heather and the hills. It was about four or five months ago that he found out he had stage four esophageal cancer. He felt perfectly fine. It was out of the blue. But they told him, most likely you will be dead within the year. Here's a note just from Jeff. He wrote an email. We're talking now some. And this is just 
to see, if you will, the fruits of a person that loves Christ. Greetings, faithful friends. It's been more challenging than I expected to get out updates. God is sustaining us, rest assured. We are encouraged directly by His Spirit and Word and indirectly through the prayers of the saints. To, to feel weak and to be weak can be a beautiful thing that reminds us of the nature of this new creation grace we have been ushered into. Again, by way of encouragement and guiding your prayers as well as mine, I offer a few quotes from Oswald Chambers today. Jesus never mentioned unanswered prayer. He had the boundless certainty that prayer is always answered. Have we by the Spirit the unspeakable certainty that Jesus had about prayer, or do we think of the times when God does not seem to have answered prayer? Everyone who asks receives, we say, but, but, God answers prayer in the best way. Not sometimes, but every time. Although the immediate manifestation of the answer in the domain in which we want it may not always follow. Do we expect God to answer prayer? And he goes on and talks about amidst the difficulty of life, we have confidence in God and we're experiencing His grace. And we trust, though this may be the future, for me, for my family, that God will sustain us. Most likely, save for a miracle, Jeff will pass away. But you see, death is not separation from the body. Death is separation from God. Death is not separation from the body. It's separation from God. And that seed that was planted by a very ignorant and inexperienced planter is producing a harvest of righteousness. We're able to come together and share by sharing in the goodness of Christ with one another. I'm so thankful that Jesus gave this passage because at that last supper when he was going away, he wanted them to remember, you are not going to see me for a while and it's going to get hard, but remember, I will continue to feed you moment by moment. I will watch over you. The one thing that we have, my friends, is to give. Is the one thing that everybody needs. Jesus, as he said to the disciples, said to us, you feed them. I don't know how. But I know I have you. And so I'm going to turn to my 5,000. In whatever way, shape, or form, I'm going to walk to them. And I'm going to share with them this message, God, and use it to fill their hearts. Share Him by caring. Share Him by giving. And share Him by sharing. For to give Him is to give life. And we have certainly been given the gift that keeps on giving. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is true. And You are in Your Word. Lord, You gave us Yourself. And You dwell in us by Your Holy Spirit. And so we are grateful that having you, we have everything we need. And we need not fear the desolate place or the lack that we have. Or even if we are alone, continue to encourage us through one another as we walk this journey by faith together. In Christ's name, amen. We now come to the time in our uh, service together where we take, take up our offering. I want to welcome every visitor who's here with us today. Uh, don't feel any obligation to make a contribution.